Good morning. Good morning to you who have tuned in online. Thank you for doing that today. We welcome you to Mount Airy Baptist Church. Last week we looked at a very intriguing verse. It's found in Luke 18. I just want to review a little bit of last week with you because it really sets the stage for this week. Last week we looked at a very intriguing verse, Luke 18.31, that says this, Jesus was speaking to His disciples as they were going on their way towards Jerusalem. We're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be, what's that last word? Fulfilled. Now come on, I'm going to need you to help me preach today, okay? So thank you for doing that. The Greek word, I told you last week, the Greek word for fulfilled is the word teleo. And it means to finish something completely. Leaving nothing undone. And we said last Sunday that Jesus fulfilled God's sovereign plan. When Luke was writing chapter 18, what we call chapter 18, he was saying, you need to understand that what is about to occur is more than what the disciples can see with their physical eyes. That there is a bigger plan at work. In fact, everything that happened during that time around His death, burial, and resurrection was part of the sovereign and eternal plan of God. That's why Jesus put it this way, everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man, everything that was written in the Old Testament about Jesus in the days of the New Testament will be fulfilled. And I was thinking this week as I thought about that statement, I was thinking, you know, I wonder if God let Isaiah and Daniel and David and Zechariah and other Old Testament prophets like them, I wonder if they got to peek over the balcony of heaven and watch their prophecy be fulfilled. I don't know what Scripture doesn't say, but that would, be, that would be pretty amazing if they had the opportunity, knowing what they had said seven or 800 years ago, to, to kind of peek over and to see everything being fulfilled. <clears throat> the second thing that we said last week is that we struggle to fully understand what God has done and is doing. And Luke emphasizes that again in chapter 18, verse 34. Three times he emphasizes this. The Bible says, The disciples did not understand any of this. They didn't understand anything that Jesus was saying on His way to Jerusalem about His death. They didn't understand any of this. And then Luke says its meaning was hidden from this. It's not that they were slow to understand, but the actual meaning was hidden from them. And then it says, And they did not know what he was talking about. So we talked last week about this idea that the meaning was hidden from them. Why would Jesus tell them what was going to happen if God was hiding the meaning of it all? And we said last week, well, there's two reasons. Number one, they may have tried to stop him or defend him had they fully understood what was about to take place. And number two, more importantly, Jesus told them ahead of time what, what would they would later comprehend so that they could later understand that he did not lose his life, he gave it. And I gave you this illustration that if this pulpit represents the three days of his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus on the way to Jerusalem explained to them what was going to happen. And the Bible says they couldn't comprehend it. The meaning was hidden from them. But he told them on this side of the event so that later when they were able to look back after the resurrection, look back with a different perspective, then they, understand, they understood he did not lose his life. He gave it. Now that was the conversation that Jesus and the disciples had last week. 
The reason I took the time to lay that out for you, one is because some of you weren't here last Sunday. I want you to know kind of what we talked about. But, but secondly, I want you to see that the conversation continues today. That the conversation he started on the way to Jerusalem continued throughout his time in Jerusalem before his death. That conversation and story continues. So today I want to give you three words that will help you understand all that God was doing through Jesus when he died on the cross. So three words and three different passages of scripture to show you the story and the conversation that continued. Here's the first word I want you to write down. It's the word continuity. Continuity. Would you go with me to Luke chapter 22? Luke chapter 22 as we Look at this first word beginning in verse 35. Let me give you the setting. Remember last Sunday they were on their way to Jerusalem. Now in Luke chapter 22 they are in Jerusalem. And they are at an event that is called the Last Supper. The night that he would be arrested. That final evening he spent that supper time with his disciples and talking to them. And we call it the Last Supper. Beginning in verse 35. Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you like anything? Now, we looked at this in a previous series, so I'm going to read the verses to give you the context, but we're not going to talk about that. I really want to get to verse 37. But guys, when I sent you on that mission trip, and I told you don't take anything with you, did you lack anything back then? Nothing, they answered. Jesus said, but now, if you have a purse, take it. And also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. And then verse 37, that's the verse we did not deal with last time that I want us to focus on today. It is written, that is, it is written in the Word of God. It is written in the Old Testament. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Actually, it is written in Isaiah 53, 12. So there in Jerusalem at the Last Supper, Jesus, that final evening, says, Guys, we need to continue this conversation. Do you remember what what Isaiah said? Isaiah said he will be numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. This must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. That is the key verse. Look at it again. We'll put it on the screen here. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. That's Isaiah 53, 12. And then he says, and I tell you that this, what Isaiah wrote about, this must be fulfilled in me. I'm going to fulfill what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah talked about. Yes, what is written about me. Isaiah was actually writing about me. What is written about me is reaching. It hasn't gotten there yet, but is reaching its fulfillment. That's why I say continuity. What Isaiah talked about now is being fulfilled in me. That is the continuity of Scripture, the continuity of the plan of God, the the continuity found in the Word of God. The word continuity means uninterrupted succession or continuation. And here's the way I like to describe it. Listen to me. Listen, this is going to be good. I need somebody to say, yes, that's right, amen, hallelujah, whatever you want to say. All right, but let me explain it to you. When I say continuation, here's why I say continuation. What God started before creation and stated in the Old Testament, He completed in Jesus so that He might offer you salvation today. That's continuity. 
Let me show you this in Scripture. Put your finger there in Luke and go with me to the right to Ephesians chapter 1. Man, I wish we had time to dig into this text. We don't have the time, but we can at least take the time to read it. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Walk slowly through this text with me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Watch this, verse 4. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Can I get an amen there? You know what that's saying? Long before you were ever born, God was working out the salvation plan for you. And not only long before you were ever born, long before the world was even created, God had developed this salvation plan. Now, just follow what he says. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, in Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ. Watch this, verse 10. To be put in effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. To be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head. What God started before creation and He stated to the Old Testament prophets, He completed in Jesus to provide salvation to you today. It's an amazing story. And that's the word continuity. Jesus said to the disciples at that last supper, all of these things are bringing about the fulfillment of what God has planned. Now let me give you a second word. It's the word control. For this word, I want you to go over with me to the book of Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. I love the scripture. It, it just really speaks to me. Maybe it will speak to you as well. Let me give you the setting for this scripture. <clears throat> now, we're still on the final evening. Remember, it was the final evening at the upper room Last Supper, now they have left the upper room. They have finished the Last Supper. Now they have gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the place and the time where Jesus is about to be arrested. That's the setting. The last night with his disciples about to be arrested. And here's what we pick. We pick up the story in the Garden of Gethsemane. While he was still speaking... Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him with a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Man, does that speak to you? Does that bless you or... Does that shock you that Jesus looked into the face of his betrayer and he said, friend, do what you came for. 
Keep reading. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. We talked about that last Sunday. This desire or this willingness, this readiness to defend Jesus. It's displayed there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 52, Jesus says, Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Now, verse 53. Look at verse 53. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Now look up here for a moment. I'm going to paint a picture for you. Those watching online, let me paint this picture for you. Talk to me. Help me preach today. How many disciples did Jesus or apostles did Jesus have? Twelve, thank you. And at least some of them had drawn the sword. They're ready to defend Jesus. They're ready to say, not on my watch. And they're ready, they're sw- at least one of them is swinging the sword. He's going to defend his Lord, his Master, the Messiah. In his mind. And Jesus said, put the sword up. Listen, guys, if I needed 12 men to defend me, don't you think, listen, listen. If I really wanted to stop all of this, I wouldn't depend on 12 men. If I wanted to stop all of this, I would talk to my heavenly Father and He would send 12 legions of angels to protect me. I appreciate what you 12 men are doing, but if I really wanted to stop this, I could, the Father would send 12 legions of angels. Now, in case you don't know how many a legion is, a Roman army legion had 6,000 soldiers. Jesus said to the disciples, if I wanted to do this, guys, if I wanted to stop all of this, all I would have to do is talk to the Father, and instantly He would send me 72,000 plus angels. The reason I say plus is because He says more than 12 legions of angels. I mean, if I, if I wanted to stop this, I could have 72 angels, 72,000 angels like this. But I think one angel would be enough, don't you? In fact, I'm not even sure he needed any angels because do you remember in John chapter 18, we don't have the time to turn there, but in John chapter 18, they came to arrest Jesus and Jesus, it says in, in John 18 verse 3 that Jesus knew what was about to happen. Correct this. He knew what was about to happen. And the, John says, and when he went out there, they, they, he said, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus. And he said, I am he. And the Bible says, when he said to the soldiers, I am he, all the soldiers fell down. I don't think he needed 12,000 angels. But the point was, guys, if I wanted to, if I felt the need to stop this, the Father would give me 12 legions of angels. But then he asked this question, verse 54. Look what he says in verse 54. But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? If I decided to stop it all, if I asked God for 12 legions of angels, I could do that in a heartbeat. But how would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say all of this must happen? Two days ago on Friday, I I had a wedding, a beautiful wedding for Ben Capel and, and his lovely bride, Natalie Smith. Well, she's Natalie Capel now. Uh, but Natalie, uh, when she was 18 or 19, something like that, she worked for a wedding planner. 
uh, maybe for summer or something, I, I'm not sure of the details, but she worked, worked for a wedding planner, and Natalie is very detail-oriented. Uh, so that at this wedding, prior to the wedding actually, she gave me, the director, and maybe everybody in the wedding party a spreadsheet of everything that was going to happen in that wedding. Now, I'm not making fun. In fact, I said to Natalie, I'll say to you, because I said to Natalie, I said, Natalie, I've been doing this for 35 years. I've never gotten one of these. But I want you to watch this. Follow this closely. Everything that was going to happen in that wedding was laid out. And the exact time of when it would happen. I thought it was funny. She gave me five minutes for my message. She's like, come on now. Come on, you can do better than that. So, so anyway, here's, here's, the th- here's the thing. During the rehearsal, we had a couple of questions. Guess what we did? Let's look at that spreadsheet. Let's see what, what Natalie said we're supposed to be doing. During the wedding, the director, sweet lady, stood at the door. And she stood at the door with her spreadsheet. And you didn't move a muscle until she saw the spreadsheet that said what you could do and when you could do it. And everything that Natalie envisioned her wedding to be was fulfilled because... Every step of the spreadsheet was followed. And I say to you, God has a spreadsheet. And it's called the Bible. And Jesus said, listen, I could stop this if I needed to, but if I stopped this, how would all of this be fulfilled? Ladies and gentlemen, everything about the death of Jesus was planned beforehand. You need to understand that. He was not the victim of circumstance. He was crucified according to the plan of His heavenly Father. So even the people who stood around the cross were fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. They likely didn't realize it. But even the people who were just standing around the cross were fulfilling what God had put in His spreadsheet in the Old Testament. Those that gambled for Jesus' clothes were fulfilling Psalm twenty-two eighteen. Those that mocked Him were fulfilling Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8. Those that offered Him vinegar to drink were fulfilling Psalm 69, 21. Though Jesus did die on the cross, here's what you need to understand. When He was dying on the cross, God was still in control and His Word was coming true. You see, the event was determined long before any of it came to pass. This is mind-boggling when you think about it. The events were determined long before it came to pass. The man who would betray Jesus, the man who would arrest Jesus, the, those who would beat Jesus, those who would mock Jesus, those who would accuse Jesus, the men who would try Jesus, and the soldiers who would crucify Jesus. All of that was determined before any of it came to play, in, into play. In fact, I'll say it to you this way. All of that was determined before any of those people were even born. God determined what would happen. See, the cross of Jesus did not come about because of evil men and what they did to Him. The cross of Jesus came about because it was God's eternal plan for Him to die for evil men. Jesus was in complete control at every moment of the circumstance. That's why He says, but how, if I, if I call the angels and stop all that, how would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen? 
this way. Here's the third word I want to give you. It's the word choice. And for this word, I want you to go back to Luke chapter 23. Luke, this time go to chapter 23. And let me give you the setting again. Luke chapter 23. By the time we get to Luke chapter 23, the crucifixion is now occurring. In this chapter, Jesus has been nailed to the cross. And we're picking up the story Uh, beginning in verse 35, as he's hanging on the cross. Verse 35. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. Notice that phrase, you might want to mark that in your Bible, the chosen one. It's it's a a unique phrase that that indicates that that Jesus was the one chosen by God for this task that was of utmost importance. The other phrase we would use to describe that is Messiah. Rather than standing around watching the chosen one, the Messiah, rather than standing there reverently, sympathetically watching Messiah, what was occurring before them, the Bible says the crowd did just the opposite. Rather than standing there reverently and sympathetically, the crowd taunted Jesus. And here's what they said. Look, he saved others. Let him save himself. They're laughing and cheering and taunting him. He claims to be Savior. Let's see if he can save himself. And then the soldiers hearing what the crowd was saying, they joined in on the mocking as well. Verse 36, the soldiers also came up and mocked him, and they offered him wine vinegar, which was, again, a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And they and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now look at this, we see a pattern developing. The crowd says, he saved others, let him save himself. Verse 37, the soldier said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. We hear it again and again, save yourself, save yourself. And then even one of the criminals dying on a cross next to Jesus joined in the disgraceful ridiculing. Verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Save yourself and us. If you are who you claim to be, show it. Save yourself. And while you're at it, save us too. I would say to you today that those words are important because Jesus had a choice. He could save himself or he could save us and he chose us. He chose to die so that we could live. It could rightly be said that it was love that kept him on the cross, not the nails. The nails didn't keep him there. It was love that kept him there. And we might ask the question, but pastor, why did he have to suffer so much? Why not just let him die in honor as the Son of God? Just let him die in honor with that title, the Son of God. Why not let him die like a hero? Let him die a hero's death. Because he didn't come to take the place of heroes, he came to take the place of sinners. And if he was going to die in our place, then he had to be treated as we deserved. 
In order to fully comprehend the cross, you've got to understand what Christ was doing on the cross is evidence that it is the only way we could be reconciled to God. John 14, 6, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. So you must understand that all of his rejection, all of his suffering, and the death that he eventually experienced, that was the suffering and the rejection and the death we deserved. Someone had to pay for our sin. And Jesus chose to be that one. So whenever you look at the cross, you should be able to say this, His suffering was my fault. His suffering. It's my fault. I want to show you this in Scripture, and I want to show you from that Old Testament prophet we've talked so much about. Would you go over to the book of Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah writing around 700 years before Jesus was even born. Isaiah 53 writes so much about Jesus in this chapter. We're going to pick up Isaiah 53 verse 3. He was despised. This is the prophet speaking about Messiah to come, prophetically looking into the future. He says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet, in contrast, watch this, we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. What Isaiah is saying there is this. We thought he was suffering for his own sin. The people around him, the people in his day, they thought he was suffering for his own sin. Smitten by God for his own sin. But then Isaiah goes on to explain, but, verse 5, but, a word of contrast, but he was pierced, not for his own sin, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. His suffering was my fault. His suffering was your fault. I want to close by telling you a story. We don't have time to read it. I just want to tell you the story. It's found in Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 39. Let me just tell you the story though. Jesus wasn't the only one dying on the cross that day. It's interesting, there were two other guys that were being crucified. If you read the Gospels, all four Gospels, we get the picture that these were thieves and perhaps murderers. These were wicked men. These were men who were being executed because of their sin uh, against the country. Not their sin against God, but their sin against the country of Rome. Thieves and murderers. We've already looked at one of those thieves and robbers and murderers. He said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and us. He ridiculed Jesus. He mocked Jesus. But the Bible tells us in Luke 23 about another guy, one on the other side. 
He's watching all this and he's listening to the crowd. He's listening to the soldiers. He's listening to the other criminal who's being executed. And finally, he can't take it anymore. And he says to the criminal on the other side of Jesus, we're getting what we deserve. The life we've lived, the things we've done, we're getting what we deserve. But this man doesn't deserve any of this. And then that same criminal speaks to Jesus and he says these words, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus, as he's dying on the cross, turns to the guy and he says these beautiful, gracious words, today you will be with me in paradise. The reason I end with that story is because I want you to understand two things. First of all, you're never too bad to be forgiven. This man was evil and vile and by his own testimony, he said, I deserve this death. I deserve this execution. For the things that I've done and the way I've lived, I deserve this. And yet you're never too bad. To be accepted by God. But you're not accepted by your works. You're accepted by your faith. The man on Jesus' right who is dying the criminal. He had no good works to point to. He, there was nothing he could point to. Say, hey, hey, would you take this into consideration when you go to heaven? There was nothing in his life he could point to. It was not his works that saved him. It was his faith declared in Jesus that day on the cross. You're never too bad to do that. You can put your faith in Christ today as well. And the last thing I would say is this. It's never too late to turn to God. That guy dying on the cross was moments away from eternity. And he cried out to Jesus. And he asked, would you please remember me? And Jesus said, today, you and I will be in paradise. It's just never too late to turn to God. You can turn to Him as well. Pastor, I've gone too long. I've waited too long. I've done too much. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. The amazing grace of God is that when Jesus could have avoided the cross, He chose you. He chose to die for you. Now the question is, will you choose Him He was hanging on the cross. There was one criminal who rejected him and ridiculed him. There was another criminal who chose him. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you let this statement sink in for a moment? His suffering was my fault. Your sin, it was my sin. It was our sin. He was dying for. His suffering was my fault. Today, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, you sure can right now. Uh, you're never so bad that you can't come to Christ, and it's never too late to come to Him. So those here in this building, those watching online, would you be willing to pray this prayer with me from the depths of your heart? Pray this prayer silently right where you're at, whether you're at home or here in this building. Pray this prayer from your heart. Lord Jesus, I have nothing to offer you today except my sin. I now come to you in faith. Trusting in what you did on the cross for me.
not in my good works. Trusting in your love and your mercy. And I ask you today, come into my heart and save me. I'm asking you today to change me. Forgive me of my sin as I repent of the life I've lived. Now give me a new life through Jesus Christ. It's in His name I pray. And in His name I will live my life. Amen.